You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. If you uh, came to the trivia night, I hope you enjoyed. I learned, I didn't learn that I don't know a whole lot. I kind of already knew that, you know. My family reminds me of that uh, more every chance they get. But I did learn that I need to pay more attention to candy wrappers when I eat candy. Who knew that, you know, it could be important to recognize color schemes? I also learned that if I were establishing a country, I would definitely check out some of the color schemes of candy wrappers because there's some pretty serious good styles going on there. So uh, those of you ladies that are, you know, into knitting or crocheting or whatever, you might want to take some inspiration from Snickers and Twix and whatever those, uh, those answers were on Friday night. But anyway, truly a lot of fun. Well, how many of you, I'm curious, how many of you remember the show? I don't know if it's running or not. It might still be, I'm not sure. But how many remember the show Undercover Boss? Do you, how many of you have seen that? Some of you may have watched a little bit of it. I, I watched a few of the episodes. It's kind of funny, you know, it's usually a, a CEO, somebody that's high up in either a, a lot of locations or big organizations that the average people kind of on the, on the street, on the front lines uh, serving, you know, if it's customer service or whatever, people that... They've never met the CEO, don't know them. And the, the CEO will come in and they'll get, you know, they'll put on a wig and they'll kind of get disguised and kind of, you know, to go undercover. So they go in and they get hired as a, it's one of the baseline workers. You know, if it's a fast food chain, they're back there flipping burgers, that kind of thing. It's always kind of funny because here's the CEO, you know, charge of millions and run this corporation and, and kind of getting the business from their, their trainers are like, come on, you got to work faster. You got to flip these burgers. They're like, I don't know that it was as hard, you know, but it's kind of interesting along the way. Sometimes the, the bosses, they just, I mean, they do it because they kind of want to know, like, is how's the company doing and how are things and they want to be better leaders. And sometimes along the way, they run into some employees. I think once or twice, a couple people have gotten fired, you know, they just, they ran into somebody. They're just like, what in the world? You do not represent us well. You need to leave. But 99% of the time after the, it's all over and, you know, the, the film crews show it, they sit down and reveal who they really are. And you see the, the employee's eyes get big like, oh, my goodness, the boss has been here like all week and I didn't know it. And if you watch it, it's just it's so interesting. And usually there's at least one person or two in there that just such... You know, such stories that life is just hitting. Either their mom is dying with cancer, they're, you know, they're struggling, they've got a very sick kid, or they're struggling to make ends meet, or they're working night and day trying to, you know, to pay just to live and go to school. And the boss usually ends up, you know, either buying them a new car, or giving them a vacation, or giving them scholarships to their kids to go to college, or just amazing. And you just see that people break down and just kind of kind of weep in the middle of that, in the middle of the hard things of life, just they get lavished on with such incredible grace. That really is what grace is, is it not? It's when you and I receive that which we did not earn and that which we do not deserve. And the Bible talks about grace. It is a misunderstood commodity. It's honestly a rare commodity in the world around us, right? It's difficult to, for us to give or to, to, to receive from others. It just it doesn't happen. I mean, who does those kinds of things to just lavish when we do not at all deserve it and earn it? If you've been in the church world for very long, you've probably heard grace defined as God's 
riches or God's righteousness at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. How many of you know, you've, you've heard of that or seen that? Okay, a few, but not that many. That's a good definition of what grace is. It's, it's God's righteousness, G-R, at Christ's expense. That's what we're talking about this morning. I can't think of another paragraph in all of Scripture that explains what grace is, that explains salvation so succinctly, so clearly, so beautifully, so in such amazing ways. And we, I want to talk about God's grace this morning. So read with me if you would in Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 19 and 20, and it kind of summarizes what we've been talking about the last month, but then we're really going to focus in on God's amazing, amazing grace. Paul says this. He sums up what we've been talking about the last, I don't know, month or so, the last three chapters about our sin. And, and Paul took so long to do it is because we're really thick and we really don't want to believe it. But he's like, I gotta, you guys have got to get this. Like, we as people are really messed up. And now he kind of summarizes it in these two little verses. He says this. Now we know that whatever the law, talking about the Old Testament law, whatever it says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And here's why. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The Old Testament was filled of all kinds of do's and don'ts and thou shalt's and thou shalt not's and all of that. And the whole reason was for one purpose, one purpose only, was to convince you and me and the whole world that we don't have a thing to say before a holy God in heaven, that we are accountable and guilty before Him. That's the whole purpose. And it goes on in verse 20, it says this, For by works of the law, no human being or no flesh literally will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law has one purpose, it's to reveal to us our sin. Can't do anything about it, it's just there to reveal it when we've broken it. Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now the righteousness of God, He's brought not our righteousness, but His righteousness. It's apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. In other words, it's nothing new. It's part of God's plan from day one. God didn't start a whole separate religion, if you will, a whole separate pathway of faith. The, the law was kind of the precursor, the training ground to lead us, to get us to this point is what Paul is saying. In verse 22, it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. I'll talk about that word in a minute. A propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I want to share with you this morning as such a, a wonderful passage for us to talk about, not pre-planned, but just to talk about with the Lord's Supper about God's righteousness at Jesus' expense, at Christ's expense for us. See, grace is our desperate need. That's the first thing I want us to recognize. That's really what we've been talking about for four weeks in a row. And it's been a little challenging, honestly, to talk about sin and just the depths of the depravity of the human heart, to talk about us and the, all of it and over and over and over again. But Paul is trying to drill it into our hearts to say we are in desperate need of God's grace because 
We're not ready to hear the antidote unless we understand how sick we are. We're not ready for the solution until we understand the problem, until we accept that. And so Paul has just been kind of pounding into us, helping us to realize this. And he says, look, here's the thing. All of the law, all of the rules that God set forth, all of the things that he wrote down, his character of holiness, if you will, on paper revealed to us, was to do one thing, to convince us to convince each of us inside of ourselves that we are guilty before holy God to stop the excuses, to stop the, you know, but wait a minute, to stop the any of the, the, the feedback, but just, God, I'm guilty. God wrote all of that down to avalanche us. Some of you felt like it was snowing and snowing. I kind of knew I was in trouble when I got up the next morning. I'm like, oh, I better get out there if it gets too deep. And I stepped off the porch. I'm like, oh, too late. It's already up where I am. It got really deep. You know, we just, God wanted to avalanche us with that, with a sin so that we would realize that no matter what our little contingencies are in our mind, that we are guilty before Him. Because at heart, He wants to help us and He wants us to experience His grace. And until we are willing to see that and accept that, we're not going to open our hands and receive that which He wants to give us, that grace that He wants to so deeply to bring into our lives. And so we are in desperate need of that. What the law does ultimately, it is a revealer. If you've flown, you know, you go through TSA and you put your little luggage in the racks. You know, if you have a kid, you take the kid out of the car seat. Car seat goes through, you know, without it. I, don't know, I think I've seen a video that more than one person are putting like their pets through it or whatever. I don't know what they're thinking, but anyway, but it, it x-rays everything, right? It lets the, the agent see what's on the inside of your bag and all the little things that are in there. And I'm, you know, I'm the guy that I hope that I don't get flagged because I really don't want them rifling through. They're like, here's Sean's underwear, you know, and we're like waving. I'm like, you know, guys, can we like, you know, like a little bit of privacy somewhere along the line? That is what the law does. It is a revealer of what's on the inside. It's there to show us and convince us that we are sinners before God. The x-ray machine can begin to diagnose a problem. If your kid's leg hurts and they had fallen down off a bike or whatever, and, it, and you're taking them to the doctor, the doctor doing x-ray, yep, there's a fracture, there's a break. It diagnoses things, but it doesn't fix things. You see, common in our culture is we think that the rules and laws, the commandments and the things that we do, we think that they're a solution. And actually, they're just a diagnostic tool. They do nothing to solve the problem. Us, you and me, trying to do better and be good people and doing all of these things doesn't solve our sin problem. It actually reveals the sin problem. That's what the law is there for. When you drove here, you went by a speed limit sign. I, I Most likely, unless some of you are literally around the corner, and maybe there's not a speed limit sign between here and there. But, you know, those laws, they're there. Those signs are there to tell when you when you've done something wrong. They're not there congratulating you when you're doing a good job. They're there to reveal to you that you have broken that which should not be broken. We are in desperate need of God's grace. We're in desperate need. We all stand guilty before God, condemned before Him, and there's no excuse whatsoever. So our real need is for God to give us His grace, for God to give us His goodness and to give us His righteousness because we're, we're condemned. We're guilty before Him. If you look at verse 12, or 21, excuse me, the Bible says this, 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed. It's been unveiled. It's been put on full display. And it's apart from anything to do with any set of rules, any set of religion, any of the stuff that we've been talking about. It's the righteousness, the goodness, the innocence, the perfection that belongs only to God has been on display. And what you and I need is for God's goodness, His innocence that only belongs to Him to be put onto our account. That's why we need grace. That only gets done because we don't deserve that, and it's God simply putting it in our behalf. You know, the last two or three chapters, I think I've said it in my life group, hopefully I've said it here, but... As we go through Romans, you kind of look at one section, you kind of have to flip back to what he's talking about it, and you really got to flip forward. Like, this is not a book. You can just, you know, pick up one little paragraph. It's kind of a little standalone. This is, this is kind of like binge-watching a TV show where you got to know the backstory so you can kind of catch up with what's going on. And Paul just told us how God is angry at our sin and how we stand condemned and how there's a day coming that He's going to unleash and, un, and, and unveil eternal punishment against all of that. And we have no hope unless God in turn takes His goodness and His righteousness and puts it on our account. And He is glad to do that, and He wants to do that. That's what we're celebrating today with the Lord's Supper. It's a remembrance of Jesus dying on the cross and Him rising again, and we'll talk about that in detail in just a minute. That's our need. I want you to notice the condition of of God's grace to us. God gives us freely His righteousness. He says, I'm glad to share with you and put my character onto you. I'm glad to give you out of the richness and the resources that belong to me, if you will. But there's one condition I have for you. And that one condition is faith. Look what the Bible says in verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, it's nothing new. It's been pointed to from Genesis all the way through. But it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Who is this for? It's for all who believed. Because there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This righteousness that God puts on our behalf comes through faith. It doesn't come through us doing things. It doesn't come through us trying to earn God's favor. It doesn't come through you and me performing religious duties. It comes simply through faith. That means for you and for me to have this forgiveness and to have God's perfection on our account. We go from zero all the way to 100, from zero to hero, if you will, that that we go from just being completely guilty, condemned, responsible before God. And when God gives us His grace... It's as if we had never done anything wrong because God Himself, His perfection that describes Him, He shares of His own character, of His own nature, and He puts it on us. And He does it on one condition, it's faith. You see, if there's something else that we do, then it's something that we are earning ourselves, and it becomes our righteousness and not God's. You see, faith is us trusting that God has done something not trusting that we are doing something. It is us reaching out, if you will, letting go of anything that we have put our hope in 
And it is us simply recognizing with empty hand that God has done everything and that He did it through Jesus on the cross. He did it when He died for us. For some of us here this morning, that means that you've been holding on to some things because you recognize you're a sinner. I think most people know at heart that they've done things that are wrong. But you've held on to some things. You've put your hope in some things, whether it be you know being brought up a certain way or you know, being brought up in a certain denomination or being brought up as a Christian or trying to be a good person. We hold on to those things. And what... This verse is telling us is that in order to receive God's grace, we have to let go of those things with an empty hand, and we have to simply say, God, I receive what you did. I trust in what you did for me. It is a complete surrendering ourselves to God. Now, what happens along the way is that we somehow think that we can, we downplay our sin because we don't really want to go all in with God, and we you know, the law is so heavy to us. It's a, it's a big burden, all of the rules. I mean, the Ten Commandments are only ten out of like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things. And it's so heavy that we cannot lift it. I don't know if you've ever tried to lift something heavy, but you're stuck. You either got to go get a bigger piece of equipment or you have to empty it out. A couple of weeks ago, my son and I were going to get something. and We're using his truck. I don't remember what we're going to get now, but he, because he has a, a, a two-wheel drive truck, in wintertime he has a big box and there's all kinds of huge rocks in it and weights and, you know, he loads it up for the snow. And so we were able, the two of us, just to pull it out. Oh, there's like three or 400 pounds in it. We were able to pull it out. But it went to put it back in. I went to get my half, and kind of, yeah, this ain't happening, son. I cannot lift my part. I could get it up a little bit, but not all the way up to set it in the bed. So you just take out some rocks, right? So you can lift it. That's what we do with our sin. Because we're willing to admit a little bit of our sin, but we begin to ignore a lot of it. And we just kind of empty the box out, and we walk around, and we think we're okay. Paul piled on to us and say, no, the whole box is yours. You can't lift it. In fact, you have to let go of it, trying to do anything to solve it yourself. Stop trying to treat like being a religious person or doing things, whether it's you know, baptism or praying or you know, helping shovel your neighbor's sidewalk or plowing them out or whatever, thinking, well, I'm a good person this week. I kind of made up for that bad thing I did last week, you know. We treat the law like a ladder, almost like, you know, if every new thing that I do is good, like we're getting a little bit higher and higher, you pull out your ladder to get to the roof that if I keep doing enough good things, I'm going to make my way up there to heaven and it's all going to be good. And God's like, yeah, nope, sorry. You're all guilty. That's what I've been trying to tell you. But we have to let go of the ladder. We have to let go of the rocks. We have to let go of everything we've been trusting in and just simply with empty hands say, God, I trust you. I don't trust me. I don't trust anything I've done. I don't trust the church. I don't trust any of the, the things around me. I trust what Jesus did. It's a surrendering. You, you hear us talk about surrendering a lot because faith is not just a watered-down belief. It's not like you, that's when we were talking about the Super Bowl, who's going to win? You know, the Eagles or the, um, I couldn't grieve, who's the other team? The Chiefs, you know. Which do you think is going to win? Oh, I think this is going to win. Oh, really? Do you really believe it? Yeah, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to Okay, well, are you willing to wager a little bit? Well, well, I do a little bit, but 
Okay, well, you gonna, will you put your whole house on it, your car, your everything, you know, your snowmobile? Will you go all in? Like, well, no, I don't believe that much. By the way, you shouldn't gamble for lots of reasons. That's another sermon another time. But I'm not going in that much. Faith is you and me going all in. That if Jesus fails, you have no hope. You have no contingency plan. You have no backup. You've not hedged your bets. It's you and me surrendering our life to Him and saying, if Jesus doesn't do it, i got no hope. And I'm not trying anything else myself. I trust Jesus. So for some of you here this morning, you need to let go. You need to yield yourself this morning to simply say, Jesus, I get it. I've trusted in religion. I know I've been a Christian all my life. I've always believed in God, but I've never really surrendered. And I get it. I just, I trust you. Some of you need to take that step of faith this morning. Others of us, others of you, have already taken that step. And what you need to remember is is that you walk around, even though you are a sinner before God, God looks at you and His grace has been given to you in your life through Jesus. That He's forgiven you and He looks at you completely differently. The Bible describes us as being justified. It's Him putting His righteousness on our account. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But you live in a very different world. This morning, that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about us celebrating and remember that we stand free and clear. It's like you and me going to take an exam, walking in the door, knowing we've already aced the exam. We've gotten a hundred. Like You don't have to worry. You don't have to walk in like, oh, I hope I did okay. I hope I'm going to do okay. It's like, it's done. Jesus paid for it all. There's nothing to worry about. Third thing I want you to recognize about God's amazing grace. Not only is there a condition, it's one condition of faith, you and me letting go of everything and trusting in Jesus. But the third thing I want you to recognize is this grace has a price tag. There's a cost to it. You see, we are justified in verse 24 by His grace. There's that word. We're justified as a gift. And that gift comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God gives us this gift of salvation, this forgiveness of sin, this being justified. I'll explain that in more detail in a minute. Us being declared innocent and righteous. It's a gift. And just like every gift, it must be paid for. Not all gifts are money, right? Some gifts are time. But all gifts have a cost to them. And the cost to this is Jesus, His redemption, that came through Him when He died on the cross, through His blood, paid for the punishment of your sins and mine. You see, it's that grace that God gives us through Jesus' redemption. That word redemption means to to buy back. If you take your bottles right to a redemption center, they're buying them back. You paid for them already. You already paid your nickel deposit. You're just getting back that which belongs to you. It was a term that was used in Roman days when Rome would go out and conquer their nations and a new nation was conquered. It was customary that the prisoners of war became slaves. We conquered you. You belong to us. We own you now. And they became slaves. And redemption was someone buying that slave back, redeeming them out of that. And there's a price, a fee to that. And the fee for your soul and for mine 
was Jesus' blood on the cross. That he paid for that, for you and for me. That he paid for it, that we don't have to, we can't. In fact, we, we had nothing to offer. We were spiritually broke. And the only resources that we ever have our whole life spiritually is that which belonged to God, His righteousness being put on our account. And the breathtaking thing about this, guys, is this. That it was God putting Him forward in verse 25 as a propitiation by His blood. And here it is again, to be received by faith. Only faith brings this to you. Grace is God's side of the equation. Faith is our side. God wants to give us. He paid for this gift through Jesus dying on the cross, and He gives us salvation. And the only thing that we do is we just receive, believe that Jesus did everything. And He paid for it through His blood that is a propitiation. That is not a word that we talk about at all today. It is a very loaded, important term. What it means is this, is that God poured out all of His wrath upon Jesus. Everything that you and I earned with our sin, the last three chapters, multiple times, God is angry. We deserve to die. The day is coming, we're going to stand before God and we're going to experience tremendous tribulation and distress because of all that we've done. That's what we've been hearing all along. But now, God through Jesus has taken all the wrath that was aimed at you. It was like, God, you were in God's crosshairs. The sights were on you, coming at you with what you earned. And God moved the target over to Jesus. And 100% of all of the judgment of the wrath of a holy God in heaven that was coming at you ultimately went to Jesus. That He took that price for you and for me. You see, that's why faith is the only thing that makes sense. Because any little gift that you and I might give of our own making can't stand up under the wrath of God. Anything that we might do, our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's dirty, filthy, polluted before holy God. But God took the first step. He was the one who orchestrated and organized and planned all of this from the beginning for your salvation and for Jesus to die, to be Him to be able to pour out His anger and His righteousness upon Jesus. And the stunning thing is, as the Bible says, is that He was glad to do it glad to do it for you and for me. You see, when we look at the cross, we know that God loves us. And we think about that. And we talk a lot about that as, as people, and we should. But there's a backside to that cross. And it's also the wrath of God toward our sin, toward what you and I had done. There's a cost to it. The fourth thing I want you to recognize is not only there a cost, but the results of this grace, when you and I, by faith, receive and we just trust what God did, that God paid for it, and we realize that Jesus died for us, that we can't make God happy, that all we have to do is trust that Jesus is the one that brings forgiveness, then the result of that grace in our life is called justification. Look what the Bible says. It says that he did this in, verse, in the middle of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. Jesus dying on the cross, taking our wrath, was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, in other words, God, earlier, if you don't recall, we were, God doesn't pour out his wrath the first day that we sin, like he holds back. 
And it shows his forbearance that he passed over those sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's just and he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. There are a lot of key words in this paragraph, but two of the different words in this paragraph are actually the same in the original language. They're different in English. The word righteous and the word just are the exact same word. One's, one's verb and one's noun going in the middle of this. Some's an adjective and all of that grammar stuff. You English people will understand and know what that is better than me. But righteousness, when the Bible says the righteousness of God is revealed, it could be saying the justice of God is revealed. When the Bible says that, that, um, that the justice, or that God is just, it could also say that God is righteous. So it's talking about God's goodness and His innocence, that He's done nothing wrong, that because Jesus died on the cross, He can declare you and me to be righteous. That makes Him the justifier. He justifies our sins. If your, if your kid does something wrong, or your grandkids, my, my grandkids will never ever do anything wrong. They will at Dan's house, but they're never going to do anything wrong in my house. So that's just the way it's going to work, you know. That's just that's this the rule. So <laughs> if you believe that one, I got some land to sell you. But when 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 you did it as a kid, right? You made excuses to why you did something wrong. You were justifying your actions. You were saying, "This is why, even though I did something, I was right in doing it. I am not guilty. I am not wrong. I am innocent." So we use this term in that way. That's exactly what this is talking about. That we're guilty, and God's been hammering home that we're guilty. But now God turns around and is like, "Yeah, but I'm going to be the one that says you're innocent. I'm going to be the one that justifies you." Isn't that so crazy? We grow up most of our life trying to justify ourselves to God, but God's like, "You can't." but I can justify you, and I want to do that. And the reason I can do it is because I sent my son Jesus to die for you. And that's why I can still be a good and innocent God who does not show partiality, doesn't show favoritism, and I can declare you to be righteous even though I know you're guilty, and I can let you into my heaven, and I can declare you innocent, that I can still be a good God because my wrath has been poured out on Jesus instead of you. Justice has been served. And because of that, I can look at you on the one condition of you having faith in my son, faith in what he did for you. I declare you to be innocent, even though you've done it guilty, even though you are completely guilty. Susan and I, a number of years ago as parents, had a dilemma. If you're a parent, you have lots of dilemmas. I assume the day is coming pretty soon, Dan, you and I will both have lots of dilemmas as grandparents. So those of you that have been grandparents can enlighten us in how that thing works. But we had a real dilemma one day as, as parents a number of years ago. We had, with, with all the kids that we had, you know, in homeschool family and eight kids, there's always some, there was always somebody in our house. So you were either in the middle of making a mess or cleaning up a mess. It was really kind of that deal, right? It's kind of like when you cook, you make a mess, and you have to clean it up. It just, 
And when there's always somebody there, it just it's, it's never clean. It's just it's a, a mess, right? And when you have a lot of kids, there's a lot of messy stuff going around. You just kind of have to learn to live with it. But we tried to manage it along the way. And inevitably, you know, things began piling up. And I remember the day, it was a number of years ago. My kids were much smaller and younger. They probably don't even remember this. But there was a number of things at the top of the stairs. And there was just papers and some of it was just trash. And there were some other little things, little trinkets and toys in there. And there was a couple of stuffed animals. And... Just uh, Susan just said, she said, all right, kids, it's time to clean this up. And whatever's not cleaned up is going in the trash. Well, one of the kids that had a couple of stuffed animals in the middle, it didn't clean it up. So guess what? It was a reasonable expectation within their abilities. Like they got it. They knew what they were supposed to do. And they chose not to do it for whatever reason. And so then mom and dad, you know, when you make a rule, you're on the you're kind of put yourself out there. You got to follow through with it. If you don't follow through with it, you get you either have to say, "Yeah, I shouldn't have made that rule," or you end up saying, "No, I'm just going to let you go and it doesn't matter." And so one of the children who was there had the option. I don't remember exactly how the deal went down, but it was like, "Okay, your stuff's going to get thrown away or you can have a spanking." One of the two. Your choice. The child made a very wise choice, throw the stuff away. <laughs> right? I don't need it. Smart, smart person. Child number two saw that. And child number two wasn't losing anything because child number two took care of their stuff. But child number two saw that stuffed animal and said, I love my sibling and I can't let that happen. And child number two stepped up and said, I'll take a spanking so that my sibling can keep the stuffed animal. And all of a sudden, I had a dilemma like, oh, what do I do with this one, Dad? I got to tell you, we kind of, it's like you watch football, like the rest come over and huddle. Honey, what are we going to do about this? You know, you kind of want to, you kind of want to be able to do that replay. You wish that was a thing in real life. I got to tell you, as awful and as painful as that was for me, I was compelled to follow through with the justice and the model of God. And so we punished child number two as completely innocent so that number one learned the lesson and understood the consequences. And I've never seen such a picture of just exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now as a parent, I'm like, yeah, I had a sister and I would never do that for her, not in a million years. Oh, what in the world? Who does that? I don't know. But that's what Jesus did for you and for me, guys. He did that for every single thing that you and I have done wrong. Willingly and gladly did it so that we could be forgiven, so that He could be just, a good God, not showing favoritism, not throwing rules out there that didn't mean anything, his character could be true. He could be just and righteous and good. And yet he could turn around and declare others to be righteous and good. And he punished his own son with, in essence, the eternal damnation that you and I deserved so that he could look at us completely differently and be forgiven. Folks, that's what grace is. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and just put your simple trust and faith in Him, I don't know of anything else in this world that could compel you to do that more than this paragraph. Because Jesus did everything for you, 
But you have to let go of everything you're holding on to and religion and thinking you're just good enough and your sin's not that bad. You've got to let go of all that and say, Jesus, I realize I put you on that cross and I paid that price. For those of you that have already done that, you need to live in that tension in that world. Like, yes, you're still a sinner, but you're forgiven. Somebody already took the punishment for you. And you get to have that stuffed animal, if you will. But God looks at you completely different as a child of His based on that. And yeah, we live in that world and there's more that we'll talk about how you deal with sin as a believer, but you're forgiven in God's eyes. You will never stand accountable, never stand responsible whatsoever in your life. That is an amazing kind of grace that we get to live. That should remove all kinds of messed up thinking in our heart and questions about where we are with God. And this is a hard thing, by the way, for some people to accept or understand. Because more and more, people were being raised in, like this may have been your upbringing, where like lines weren't clear and goalposts always got moved and well, don't do this and then you do it and nothing happens and kids just don't have clear guidelines. And then parents don't know how to discipline well. And so kids just walk around just hoping that the mom's and dad's anger blows over. And it creates a habit of just like, well, I do wrong, but mom and dad will get over it. They'll get over it. And, you're just, and they hunker down and they kind of live in fear a little bit. And then finally, mom and dad forget about it and they kind of go on. And this is completely of a different animal. This is a whole other thing is that you and I don't have to live in that way with God. You know, what's dad thinking about me today? Am I okay? No. The judgment has been poured out. You stand on solid ground before a holy God in heaven, all because of Jesus. That should be a blessing and encouragement and incredible joy in our life that the rest of your world may be crappy. You may not have had power all day or all the things in life, but that one makes everything else pale in comparison. So this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, where are you in that? If you've not surrendered to Jesus, I'm going to give you a few minutes to just take that step and just say, God, I understand. I Forgive me. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm going to give you a few minutes in just a moment for you to do that right where you are. And if you have done that, are you celebrating that this morning? Are you following and pursuing Him in that? And are you living in your life in a way for that? So we, we invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to participate and to celebrate in this the, the Lord's Supper that we'll do here. But think about where you are and take that next step in your life. Okay.